<laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, well, let's go for round two. Good morning. Wonderful. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. It's a little, uh, it was a little cooler this morning, but it, it wasn't freezing, so that's a blessing right there. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Who ate probably too much? Yeah, yeah. Happens every year, but I still don't learn, so I guess, but it's okay. It's okay. God's definitely given us so much to be thankful for. Uh, let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer before we jump into the music. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for the privilege to be in your house once again, God. Thank you for this beautiful season, this time of year, where we can just reflect on the many blessings, God, that you've given us throughout the year. Father, just uh, ask you this morning, God, that you would just bless uh, the singing. God, bless the preaching. God, just, uh, I just pray, God, that it'll, it'll touch our hearts. Many needs here this morning, God, uh, and I just pray, God, that you meet those needs. Father, I ask that you would uh, remember, uh, help us to remember Mary Brown. God, she's in the hospital in Winston. Uh, she's not not doing good. And Father, I just ask that you would touch her. God, help the doctors that's uh, that's taking care of her. And uh, God, just bring her back to us. God, restore her health. And Father, we just ask and pray in Jesus' name. You just be with us as we worship you, praise you. And God learned from your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if everyone please go ahead and stand. Even as Mr. Larry was just mentioning, reflecting on uh, Thanksgiving, and um, definitely with all this COVID stuff going on, there's a lot of differences perhaps that have, uh, that have been put in place, perhaps from different years. However, a lot, all of that doesn't change the fact that God has blessed us so much. Even having the, um, even with anybody in power saying, okay, you can't do this or you can't do that, insinuates that we had the ability to do that to begin with, which means God's blessed us so many ways. So let's start out by singing, God is so good. It's because he is. This is my story. 
celebrated Thanksgiving and, and with Christmas right around the corner I'm reminded of the greatest gift that we have to be thankful for and that's Jesus Christ being sent to be born living a perfect sinless life sacrificing himself on the cross and raising the third day for us we have we have more hope than anyone else in the world because of what Christ has done for us so join as we sing because he lives God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus, He came to love, heal and forgive, He let Savior lives because He lives. I can face tomorrow because He lives. All fear is gone because I know He holds the that river 
remain standing for just a second and wave to folks say howdy welcome them back to church <clears throat> don't mention if anybody's put on a few pounds because i think we all have it's okay <laughs> it's not very nice to say in church you may take a seat and today's special is by miss ann thank you miss ann
thank you, Miss Ann. And that is the whole uh, purpose why Jesus came. Uh, gave came to give His life a ransom for many. Thank you, Miss Ann. All right, now we'll go ahead and have our uh, prayer time. And uh, right now, you can go ahead and pray individually or with the person sitting beside you. But just go ahead and ask God to speak to you personally today through the preaching of His Word. Thank you for giving us another day. Thank you for allowing us to see the sunrise once more. I pray that you would speak to us. I thank you, God, that we can come. We can give you honor. We can give you praise. And and you've commanded us to do so. We ask that you would speak to us, Lord, and, and that we would hear from you. I pray that we would each hear from you individually wherever we're at whatever we may be going through thank you God that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword thank you Lord so much for all you've done for us pray that you would bless the preaching of your word in Jesus name amen everyone go ahead and stand as we sing the last song before the preaching and again this song is It's just a prayer for what we want. We want God to speak. Because if He doesn't speak, then we've come for nothing. And so we're asking God to speak to us. Speak, O Lord. Truth prevail over us. 
question for you as I was sitting there asking the Lord forgive me because we talked about politics this morning and so it kind of ruined my spirit so but I the Lord forgave me and and we got it right no had a little bit of righteous indignation on some things but hey it's all good I got a question to ask you though so the spirit will probably be tore up in just a minute how many people let's just be honest this morning honesty's key how about that how many of you in a relationship, and I'm not saying this to try and help my sister-in-law find a husband, so, but y'all, we can pray for her. But no, I'm talking about relationships. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm sorry, Ashley. She's, that's my sister-in-law, Ashley, on the end. Thankful for my beautiful wife being with me and our little baby. She's thankfully sleeping like an angel that fell from heaven. So <laughs> we'll get that later when she wakes up. But, um thinking about relationships and my relationship I have with my wife, I'm, I really am thankful. My, my wife's my, my best friend. But as I think about uh, mine and my wife's relationship, how many of you, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, engaged couples, or people that would like to be in a relationship, how many of you would be okay with a random stranger coming up to your significant other and trying to steal them away from you? Would you be happy with that? If just raise your hand. He even said, no, I appreciate that. That ain't happening. And you know, when we think about that, it would go either way. I, I believe my wife would probably hit the fan if somebody tried to do that. And I, I'm going to hit somebody. How about that? I'm not going to hit the fan. But when we think about that, we think about, or when I think about that, I think about relationships because I say that because more than anything, there's a jealous God in heaven. And He's our Savior, but He's our Heavenly Father. And let me tell you this morning, God cares about His relationship that He has with you. Now, maybe you believe that. Maybe you don't understand that. I, I don't understand a whole lot of things in the Bible, but I believe them. And when I think about God and our relationship with Him, He cares about our relationship that we have with Him. And I say that because as we find ourselves in the Word of God this morning, we find... 1 John is a book that deals with our relationship with God. See, God is more interested in us building our relationship with Him than I believe sometimes we think. And see, what we believe sometimes, I believe, is that we think if somebody gets saved, 
They're good. That's it. That's the end of it, the end game. But in reality, understand, salvation is just the starting point. And that's why when you find God used John to write in the Word of God, and the book of John deals with sonship coming to God in a saving way, but First John goes beyond that. See, God doesn't want us just to stay where we are when we get saved, but He wants us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we come to First John, we find in a section of Scripture, in chapter 2, a little portion of Scripture that's going to deal with us and our relationship with God. And it's inserted, I believe, because God is interested in us understanding a truth to protect our relationship with Him. Because God doesn't want someone, or I should say something, stealing our affection away. You know, one of the greatest things that God has allowed us as, believe, as not even just believers, but as human beings to do, the ability to love. It's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's an action. The giving of oneself to another person's need or even desires. Love is something beautiful. And it's something that comes out in action. And see what we find in verse 15 is the Word of God is going to deal with the subject dealing with love, but loving the wrong thing. And so what we find in verse 15 is notice what it says. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, what we find is God is dealing with His people in this section of Scripture. See, 1 John, as I said, is a relationship book. It is us dealing with our relationship with God because it's a book that deals with fellowship. And God wants us to protect against loving this world. And I believe this, that, that we need to be cautious and we need to be on guard that we love not this world. Because I believe that this world is trying to snatch our love away and steal our devotion from God. And He wants us to love Him preeminently that's that's first and foremost in our lives and so i want to ask you this morning christian do you love the world or do you love the father do you have a love for god that's preeminent in your life or do you say this morning that the love that you have is a love for this world so what i want us to do is ask the lord to speak to us and teach us some truths about this loving the world as he speaks to us from his word in the section of Scripture that we just read. So let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Father, as we come to You, Lord, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your mercy. I thank You, Father, for all that You've done for me. I ask You to be with me this morning. Help my, my, uh, my, my speaking. Father, help me to relay the Word of God in such a way that's not through the power of my flesh, but through the power of Your Spirit. Touch my voice and help me with my allergies, Father. And Lord, we need you ultimately, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts and help us take this text, Father, I pray, and open it up to us in such a way to where it pierces us, challenges us, and uh, helps us to be changed when we leave here. Father, we love you, we praise you, and thank you for asking in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard an old story of a Civil War general as he was leading his troops in the battle, and he went out on the front lines and he told his men, he said, men... 
What I want you to do is, is I want you to take your stakes when you set up camp. I don't want you to drive your stakes far into the ground. But what I want you to do is barely put your stakes into the ground because in the morning we're rising up and we're pressing on. And what I believe in is happening in churches and believers is that people are driving their stakes so far into this ground and getting rooted so far into this ground and they forget that reality is this, that this world as a believer is not your home. It's not my home. And what we find is, is that we as Christian soldiers for the cause of Christ should not be rooted so far into this world and not be in such love with this world. But what we should be is living in this world because we're not of this world. And I'm afraid what we find here is true in 2020, that Christians are in love with this world. And God had something to say to them in this day as He does in this day right here in which we live. And what we find, first of all, number one, is the endearing protection. How many people like to be told what to do? I see Ethan, he's saying, ah, no. I don't like to be told what to do. My wife can testify to that if she asks me to do something. But I do it, being a good husband. <laughs> you know something? I don't like it when somebody tells me, this is what you're going to do. And the, and the funniest thing is, I went in the military and they told me what to do. Because I was the lowest of the low. I was at the bottom of the shoe, so to speak. And you know something? As I did things that I didn't like to do, I did it out of necessity. I did it out of obedience. And there are some things in the Word of God that our flesh just says, you know what, I don't like that. I, I, I've got things that I like to do, what I want to do, and that is not it. And so often, I believe we see the Word of God as a burden instead of a blessing. We see that God is saying, don't do this or do this. And all we see is the burden of God telling us what to do. And we don't see the blessing that our Heavenly Father cares about our relationship that we have with Him through the person of Jesus Christ. And what we find right here in verse 15 is that loving not this world is not a suggestion. It is God lovingly protecting us and our relationship that we have with Him. And He is giving us a divine imperative saying, Love not this world neither the things that are in this world. You know something God is trying to teach us right here? That we are to command this obedience, uh, this uh, uh, commandment, excuse me, we are to obey this commandment, I should say. Sorry about that. And what we find is, is when He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. See, God is trying to do this to protect us. Now, how many people would willingly let your uh, parents, how many people would let your child wander out into that street by his or herself? Nobody would. If you would, somebody slap that person. But, uh, no, I, 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 I'm only kidding you. I shouldn't say that. But anyhow, uh, what we find is, is God trying to tell us this. He's trying to say it for the reason of He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves or hurt our relationship that we have with Him. See, He sees us, and He sees us that He says, You know what? I love you. I gave my son for you. I've purchased you. You belong to me now. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. And what we find is when God teaches us that He has bought us, He said, I've bought you out of this world 
placed you in my family. And when you entangle yourself in this world and loving this world, it says, if us as God's children are slapping him in the face saying, I don't want you. Now you think about that next time we want to love this world. See, God is lovingly protecting us. We see that endearing protection as a father would say to his children. And as I think about this, what I find is, is that he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So now I've got a question then. What does that mean? Does that mean that if I love the world, that I show that I'm not a child of God? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this right here, that if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Is there a person that would feel comfortable being near me? I am free of uh, all ailments, sicknesses, and all that. Nobody. I'll take my wife. All right. Would you sit here? Ethan, I appreciate that. I was reading last night out of 50-some million people, only four people contracted the virus twice, and those are debatable. Just, I'll, I'll say that. So the chances of him getting it are astronomical for me again. So, No, I'm clean. I'm, I'm good. I, I say all of that for a reason. Now, imagine for a moment that um, Ethan is sitting on that chair as he is. We don't have to imagine it. We can see it. But um, would you slide over just a little bit, Ethan? Just a little more. I'm going to need a little room right there. Do you mind if I sit right here? You want me to wear a mask? Okay, he said that. All right. Now, as we're sitting here, you're taking up a lot of room. You want to slide over a little bit more? <laughs> you know, when I think about myself sitting on this chair, I'm not very comfortable. Are you comfortable, Ethan? He just lied in church. <laughs> you know, I'm not very comfortable. As, I, as I'm as i sitting on this seat right now, I'm going to move. That seat is designed for one individual. Now, as I see, you can sit back on it. Now, it's probably way more comfortable as he's sitting on it right now. And so what I'm trying to say is, is as we read 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What the Word of God is trying to teach is that when we have a love or an affection or an attraction for this world, what we find is, is that we are saying, God, I'm on the throne in my heart and you have no place. And see, what I'm trying to say is, is this. See, it's easy to see things because in your heart, in your life, for you, there's one seat and one person can occupy it. It's either you or it's Jesus. And so often what we want to do, we want to have one hand on the things of the world. We want to have one hand on the things of God. We want to sit on that throne with Jesus. And we want to be the king in our life and say, you know what? Yeah, I kind of want to serve God, but I want to live for myself and have this, do that, go here, do that. And what we find is the Word of God says it's not that way. You either live for God or you live for yourself. You love the Lord or you love the world. It doesn't go both ways. Thank you, Ethan. I appreciate that. Brave man. And so what we find is right here, I, I actually, to illustrate this truth in a better way using Jesus as the example, turn to Matthew 6, verse 24 with me if you would. Hold your place in First John. I want you to see this with me. 
As we look at first, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-four. Notice what the Word of God says: No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So what we find is Jesus Himself saying right here: You cannot have two masters. You can't have your cake. Set it down. Want to keep it and eat it too. You got to pick one or the other. You either got to set it there or eat it. You got to have either Jesus as your master or yourself. You know something? That word mammon just simply gives you the idea of the world. Either the world will be your master and the things that are in it, or Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so what we find is right here in 1 John, as we go back there, that's the idea of that. Either we will love one or hate the other. It's not we're going to have them both. And so what we find is, do you see why God is trying to protect His relationship that He has with us? Because when we choose the world, we say, God, my love for you is not what it should be, and you don't matter in my life. And we just push Him off to the side. And so, number one, we've seen the endearing protection, but I want you to notice... As I ask you the question, then how do we know what's in the world? What makes up the world if I love the world? Because notice number two, the Bible says in verse 16, for all that is in the world. So we're going to find out what it is. So number two, we see the enticing pressures that make up this world. See, the world is broken into three categories that draw us away. See, this world, it not only is saying not to love this world, but the things that make up this world. And so what we find is, is that when we see this world in verse 16, it draws us away in one of three areas. And it's broken down by the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of our lives. And so what we see is the first two talk about the lust, and that simply means desires. How many of you have desires? A few of us. We got a few people in here, maybe a few robots, a few weird people. No, I'm just kidding. But you know something? What we find is that we all have desires, different desires. I, I like cheeseburgers. Some people may hate cheeseburgers. Some people may like chicken. Some people may hate chicken. Some people might like the color blue. Some people may not. You know, our desires are different. And what we find is, he says, for all that is in the world is the lust or the desire of the flesh. And that simply is the desire to have. How many people can testify they know somebody and their desire in life is to have things? I mean, that is their drive in life. I've got, well, I don't say siblings, I've got family members <coughs> that live their lives they, they literally live to have. I, I mean, honestly, their life is motivated and fueled. Saying amen. The desire in their heart is to live and work so I can have, I can get, I can live so I can have something. And you know something? It's not bad to have things. I, I, please don't mistake me when I say that. It's not bad don't want to have a house or a car, but it is bad when you live life motivated in life so that you can have this, you can have that, I've got to have a nice house. And how many people can truly testify 
the way of life in today's time, people want more than they truly need. They want nicer than they truly need. I mean, the, the ways of the old days are much simpler and really what we should be getting back to, the simple way of life. Amen? And, and you know something what I find in, in 1 John chapter 2 right here when he says uh, in verse 16, that lust or that desire of the flesh may not be the same as this person's. But we all have it, and we all have to put it in check and ask ourselves, what am I going through life for? Am I living my life so I can get, so I can gain, so I can have? I think about the parable that Jesus uh, tells in the uh, New Testament. He said that the man got so much, he built a barn and he stored it away. And Jesus told the parable and he said, thou fool, you don't even realize your life is required tonight. You know, some people are gaining and wanting and, and desiring that they may have and putting it away for nothing, literally nothing. It's so sad. And so what we find is the desire of your flesh, that desire to have. But it doesn't just stop there because this world will draw you away, not only by the desire to have, but it says the lust of the eyes, the desire to see. Have you noticed how much money goes into advertising? People put so much money in desiring you to see something so it draws you away. How many people have ever been to a restaurant, ordered some food by the menu, showing you a picture and you say, I don't even need to know what's in that. That looks good. That's what I want right there. And then you order it and it lets you down so bad. You're like, what is this? That's not what you displayed. You lied to me. That, that's not right. I want my money back. I want something different. It falsely advertised to you. You know something? That's because people put so much money in your sight because your eyes will take and lead you astray. You know something that's interesting? The heart, I believe, leads people to pride, but the eyes lead people to covet. And covetousness is one of the great sins not only of 2020, but just the great sins that draws people away from God. The desire to see something will do this right here. It will literally cause you to want something. See, this lust of the eyes is not just a, a sensual lust of looking with your eyes at things you shouldn't. And I believe this, the Bible teaches, set no wicked thing before our eyes because as lamentation says, mine eye affecteth my heart. See, we need to be care, careful what we put into our eye gates but I believe it's more than just sensuality. I believe we need to be careful how we look at things and the idea of this because you can see somebody have something or you can see something and it can literally steer you to where you say, you know what, it can go from the desire to see to where you say, going back to the lust of the flesh, now I've got to have it. You say that's not true. Two examples. The first one in the book of Joshua, there's a man by the name of Achan. How many people have ever heard of the name Achan in the Bible? Achan desired something that God said, it's not for you. And you know how he desired it? Go back and read it. I believe it's in Joshua 8, or it may be 7. You correct me later if I'm wrong. But go back and find Achan. And it says that he saw the Babylonian garment and then he desired it. He coveted it. You know what it started with? The lust of his eyes seeing something that he shouldn't see. 
Because God said it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me. And that's why we need to be cautious at what we set before our eye gates. And, and we need to be careful how we look at things and the fact of being cautious to say, you know what, we need to not let it steal our heart away. Because the life that I live is not mine to live because the Word of God teaches we are to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the, the, the Lord Jesus lives His life through me. And so what we find is, is He deals with the, the lust or the desire to have, the lust or the desire to see, but last of all, He deals with the pride of life. And that simply gives you and I the idea of this right here. The desire to be. I mean, this right here is America 101 in 2020. People live life to get. People live life to see. People live life to be whatever you want to be. Now, it's not bad to have ambitions and desires, as I said, but it is wrong when you are mapping out your life, charting your destiny, and saying you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to go here, you're going to go there. And where is God in the equation? Where does God come into work? When do you consult with God and say, Lord, what is it that you have for me and my family? What is it that you have for me at my local church that I attend? God, what is it that you want me to be? You see, when we love the Lord, we live for Him, and we show it when we reach out to Him. And He says this pride or this desire to be. You know, I, I go back in the Old Testament, and I find the character that I believe none of us should be like. And He is the one that said, I will be. You know who that was? Lucifer. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. I will, he said. Well, where is God's will in all of that? Nowhere to be found. And so when we think of this right here, it reminds me of an alligator snapping turtle. Killing machine. I mean, a 200, I think it was like 50 pounds of just killing machine. I, I can't think of anything else because I wouldn't want to get my hand stuck in it. But what's fascinating about an alligator snapping turtle, as it's under the water and it opens its mouth up, it has its little tongue just take the water and let the water carry its tongue into the current. And as it's open, it's, uh, it, as its mouth is open wide and its tongue is just flickering in the current and it's under the water still as can be, the fish just swim by it and as it sees the tongue floating in the current, it mistakes its tongue for a, a worm. And as it mistakes its tongue for a worm, it grabs a hold of that tongue. And as it, I can just envision it in my mind, that fish grabs that tongue. In reality, what the fish thinks it's got a hold of finds out something's going to get a hold of it. And it's an alligator snapping turtle. Clamps down on that fish. And sadly, tragically, kills the fish and what I find is so often people in this world that are believers are drawn away by the things in this world and by this world it allures them it draws them it pressures them see these enticing pressures as I broke down in three ways will draw you away by wanting to have wanting to see and wanting to be 
And what you do is, is people live for it. They love it. And then it swallows them up. Example, Demas was testified of Paul that he said this, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. See, the world swallowed him up. A man that was once in the ministry, fallen in love with this world, and it drew him out of the things of God to where he forsook Paul. Supposed to be a brother in Christ, a friend, and he turned his back on him. So number one, we've seen the endearing protection. Number two, the enticing pressures. I'm going to have to hurry. Number three, we see the ending that's proclaimed. Notice the Bible teaches in verse 17, the world passeth away in the lust thereof. You know, simply put, the idea that he's trying to drive home is one day this world and all that makes this world up will go to nothing. Those clothes that we wear and we have on right now will literally last for naught. I mean, they're going to come to an end one day. The shoes that we have on our feet will come to nothing. This building one day will come to nothing. These things around us will literally fade away. It will come to nothing. And what we think is, is things will last forever. But in reality, you go to Revelation, what did John say? He said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And see, all of the old things were passed away. You say, how is that? First, uh, Second Peter chapter 3. Just go one book to your left. 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice verse number 10. We'll read verse 10 and on down. <coughs> the Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. So that's talking about the idea of the heavens is what you see, the interstellar part, the, the sky in which it's above us, the stars. See, God is going to take all of this and it shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements, that's the idea of this world, shall melt. Notice, with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know what he was saying? That this world will literally burn to nothing. See, God will purge this world and burn this world up and make it to pass away because this world is tainted with sin, it is cursed with sin, and God is going to start fresh and new. Now, one end that seems harsh and hard but in reality, it's something beautiful because God is taking the old and the bad and, and, and passing it away and He's starting fresh and He's starting new. And so what we find is, is He says, the world passeth away, but notice He says, and the lust thereof. You know something that's interesting? He doesn't just give the idea that the world is going to pass away and all the things that make the world up, but our desires are going to pass away. Your desire, I believe, for that big, juicy cheeseburger is going to just dissipate to nothing. The fact that your color blue may be your favorite, probably it's going to just amount to zilch, which is zero, nothing. You know, all of these desires that we have, good and bad, see, I believe in eternity they're not going to matter. You say, why is that? 
Because I want you to think for a moment, how is it we get to heaven? What is it we do to get to heaven? For there is none that doeth good, no, not one. For there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In the heart of every person in this room and in this world, born and dead, that have been before us and will be after us, we're all born sinners. And what we have in common is we, on our best day, cannot get to God on our own. We can't get to heaven on our own. For it's by grace that ye are saved through faith. And when I get to heaven and you get to heaven by God's amazing grace, as our brother taught us this morning with the song, what we will understand is this right here that I will look at the nail-pierced hands of my beloved Savior and notice that I didn't do anything to get to heaven, that He did it all. He paid it all on the cross of Calvary. And as I look at the Son of God, He paid the redemption price in full with His own life, paying for my sin and your sin on that cross. And my desires will not be the same because as I look at Him, I will see the Holy Son of God that died for me and you. The fact He was placed in a borrowed tomb and after three days He got up by the power of the Father. God got up from that grave. He arose victoriously. And He showed that He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And He saved my soul. And when I look at Jesus, how can I have any other desire than Him who saved me? How can I desire anything than to want to love Him and live for Him and please Him when He says, you know something? It was by my grace and by me that you came here. And He don't even have to say it. I can just see those nail-pierced hands. And so, you know something? That's why I believe that our desires are going to pass away. This world's going to pass away. It reminds me, in the early 1900s, people invested their lives and their livelihood, everything, literally, into the stock markets. They put literally everything into the stock market, some people. And as I think about it, I believe at one time it was probably booming just before a tragic event. People were probably turning money left and right, hand over fist. And they were thinking that everything was just good, going to go the way that it should. You know, tragically, one day, that thing that they put their faith and their trust in crashed and tumbled literally to nothing. And as that event tragically took people's money, people lost their jobs, people lost their health, and it led into one of the greatest, most tragic events economically, physically, and emotionally in American history. And you know what it was? The Great Depression. And sadly, people are putting their stock into this world, putting their lives into this world, putting their everything into this world, and it's going to amount to zero because one day it's just going to burn and crash. Which leads me to last of all, how can I get to the point to where I love not this world? How can I protect against my uh, being not loving this world? How can I get to the point to where I need to get what will help me? Verse 17, notice the latter part, and I'll just run through it. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know, last of all, what we need to have, and this will help us, if we get nothing else, let's get this, 
is we need to have an eternal perspective in life. That is this, by that I'm saying this. He's trying to draw their attention not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. He's identified what's in the world and what will draw you away. He's identified the fact that this world and your desires are going to pass away. And he ends it, verse 17, but a contrast. He's flipping the coin to the other side. He's drawing their attention to something else. And he says, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And very simply put, the idea is this, that we need to live life with eternity in mind, having an eternal perspective, that we as believers need to live life that this day that I live will affect my eternity. Now, it's not that we should live worrying about tomorrow. I'm not saying that because the Word of God is very clear that we should take no thought for tomorrow, literally not worry about tomorrow, but we need to not live life as if this is the only day we live. See, understand this. If you're a believer, you are living today that will affect your eternity. And I'll explain it simply with two thoughts, two truths, and I'll close and I'll be done. And that's this. An eternal perspective starts by us having an initiative. You say, what is that? The idea of having an initiative is, notice what he says. He says, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, the idea of doing the will of God, what's interesting is, is he doesn't say he that knoweth the will of God. He doesn't say he that thinketh he knoweth the will of God. No, he says he that doeth the will. Why does he say that? Because I believe he's trying to drive home that God is not interested about what you know. He's interested about what you're willing to do. And see, it doesn't matter if you know the will of God. It matters are you willing to do the will of God. And you say, what is God's will? Let me help you. If you've got a Bible this morning, hold that Bible in your hand. And that's God's will, very simply put. From Genesis to Revelation, that's God's will. It's found in the Word of God. And what we find in God's Word are various truths and lessons and, and things that will help us live life successfully. You know, when God says it, period, that settles it. Believe it and do it. That's why He says, He that doeth the will of God. And the initiative we as believers need this morning is to say, God, my will is no longer my will. It's Your will. And the way that we get to the point to where we will know and do God's will is having this initiative to surrender your will. See, only when we surrender our will, then and only then will we be ready to do God's will. And so the idea is that we need to have initiative, being willing to surrender our will. So last of all, we can see this is he says but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever now <laughs> the idea of somebody giving you something and then taking it away who does that sit well with this morning if somebody gives you something and then snatches it from you that don't sit well with me if you give me something it's mine I don't care what you say <laughs> it's okay to laugh I promise you it's free and you know something? He that doeth the will of God, the Bible says, abideth forever. As I said, when we learn the truth of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation, and we decide to take God's Word and put it to practice in our lives, being faithful to His house, 
being obedient in prayer, studying the, the Word of God to show ourselves approved unto God, and the various things that are in God's Word, such as giving and different things like that, when we choose to be obedient to it, to surrender ourselves, as it says in Romans 12, and, and all of these other truths, when we do that, because we say, God, I love you, and I want to live for you, God's Word teaches nobody will ever take that from you. It'll never be invested in something that'll waste away. And so the idea is that we need to invest in the bank of heaven our treasures. Let our treasures be laid up in heaven where our hearts should be. I'll, I'll close with this right here. Just imagine for a moment, every day I went, <laughs> my wife will love this, is, uh, what I do with it? There it is. I was like, somebody stole something. There's a little leprechaun back here. He got it. <laughs> Imagine every day I go to my wife and I give her one of these. Now, some people are thinking, you cheapskate. It's a dollar. <laughs> Imagine it's however big you want, okay? But I go to my wife and I say, honey, I want to give you one of these. That's a $1 bill, okay? And I say to my wife every day, honey, that's yours. Now, you take that. may seem small. may seem insignificant. But you can spend it on anything you want. <laughs> she's, she's laughing. I think it's funny, too. What can you buy with a dollar? You can buy some gum, <laughs> different things like that. <laughs> Not a whole lot. Or you can take that one simple little dollar, and you can take it and just put it away. You know, when I think about that, so often people are living their lives like the prodigal son. Go back and read it, Luke 15. You know something that, uh, that, that, that characterizes the prodigal son? He took all that wasn't even his, and it says he wasted it away. And people are living their lives wasting it on nothing, wasting their lives away. And see, every day God gives us something that I believe possibly we take for granted and we see it as maybe not as significant as it is and you know what it is one day did god give you one day yesterday yes he did and that one day that we may not see as significant so often we take for granted and we take that one insignificant day in our mind and we waste it on ourselves and we waste it on this world and it'll show one day when we stand before god and we give account for our lives that we've lived. And He rewards us or we suffer loss. And see, but the people that take that one little thing that He's given us and stow it away and invest it in Him because we love Him and we want to live for Him, nobody will ever take that from you. And one day God will show that, you know what? You truly loved me and you didn't love this world. And I want to ask you this morning, do you love the Lord this morning or do you love the world? It's very simple. It's a yes, I love the Lord, or no, I don't. Because as we look at this passage, I believe that it's spoken to all of us possibly at one point in our lives. And I believe we've all possibly been guilty of loving the world when we shouldn't. So again, I want you to stand to your feet and answer the question, do you love the Lord or do you love this world? As we stand to our feet, every head bowed,
and every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. <coughs> Would you be willing to let God speak to you this morning? I know that we've got you know, different desires and different beliefs and thoughts and different things like that. But what I want you to do this morning is ask yourself, will you be willing to let God speak to you? You know, you don't have to come forward. You don't even have to bow. You know something? The amazing thing about God, He's omnipresent. That means He's everywhere at the same time. And God can deal with you right where you're at. That's the amazing thing. And God can deal with us in so many ways. But all I want you to do this morning is to be willing to let God speak to you and lead you as He sees fit. So as the piano softly plays, what I want us to do is take this moment and this invitation and let God just have His way in our service, in this service this morning. Let Him speak to us. What's most important to us in our lives? Uh, thank you, Ben. We appreciate it. Uh, right before we close in a word of prayer and sing our final song, um, as Mr. Larry mentioned, keep in prayer, Miss uh, Miss Mary Brown, and then also pray for Miss Dora Vass, who is dealing with COVID nineteen right now. Um, and whether it's COVID or the flu or, or any other sickness, I know there's a number of folks. And we all have different friends and family members who are going through stuff right now. Uh, so let's lift them all up in prayer. And then uh, even as uh, the 
Christmas holidays coming up. Let's also pray that we can keep our minds focused on the real reason for Christmas. Um, you know, like we're talking politics with the economy, with all that stuff. Like we don't, we don't need to focus on the consumerism aspect. We can focus on Christ because He's the reason for Christmas. And so, um, Lord, definitely thankful that God's given us another day, given us another um, Thanksgiving, another holiday season. So we'll uh, we'll pray and then we'll sing our final song. God, I thank you so much, again, for giving us another day. I pray that you would be specifically with uh, Miss Mary Brown and Miss Dora Vass, that you would bring healing, that um, they would both look to you in, in whatever's going on. I pray, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your blessing. Help us to share the gospel with folks uh, that we meet this week, whether it's at the store or at work. Give us boldness to proclaim your truth so that folks might be saved. I thank you, God, for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing Redeemed, and then you are dismissed. missed.